Well, good morning, everyone. Wonderful to see you all this morning. Uh, This morning, we are going to be continuing our study in the book of Acts, and we're going to be in Acts chapter 5 again, verses 27 to 42 today, uh, in a message that I'm calling No Compromise. Uh, So let's go to the Lord and pray. Lord God, we do thank you uh, for your blessed word. Uh, Lord, it is our desire and our duty to uphold your word, uh, to, to treat your word uh, as it is, Lord, uh, your word. And, and as such, uh, it is truth, and we are required to obey it. And uh, Lord, that's what we intend to do today. And so I ask that you uh, bless this message, Lord, and bless those who will hear it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Have you ever bought those cans of uh, frozen orange juice, the frozen concentrate, uh, when you buy those cans, you know, you have to scoop out the frozen concentrate out of that can and you got to, you know, scoop it into the pitcher and then you fill that can four more times with water and you pour that into the, into the pitcher and then you stir the whole thing up and after you're done with that, uh, you have orange juice. And when you do that, what you're doing is you are diluting the frozen concentrate. Uh, and, and so when, when we uh, enjoy the frozen uh, or enjoy the orange juice, it's because we have diluted it uh, with water. Uh, and dilution is good for some things, but it's not good for uh, other things. And uh, the word diluted means uh, to, to uh, reduce in strength or concentration or quality or purity or to make less strong or severe. So that's what it means to dilute something. The church in America has a problem today, and that problem is, is that we are diluting the gospel. We're diluting the gospel, and and the message that Jesus Christ died for our sins as payment, punishment for the sins that we committed, uh, is being lost, and it's being replaced by a feel-good, man-made message about uh, how God wants us to be happy uh, and healthy all the time, and, and how Uh, He wants us to have our best life now. Well, that message, of course, is very attractive because there are lots of people who don't want to be confronted with their sin and their need to repent of it. And and so when they go to church on Sunday and they attend churches that don't preach the gospel, uh, they leave church uh, perhaps comfortable uh, but never changed and perhaps not saved uh, and so this should not come as a surprise to us because Paul warned us in 2 Timothy chapter 4, he said this, uh, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away from their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. Well, prosperity gospel churches in America are growing quickly. Uh, they, they offer a feel-good message and people like to hear a comfortable message, uh, but they're not preaching the gospel. Uh, and neither is the Presbyterian Church USA. Lately, you, uh, just recently at their general assembly, uh, they all got up and offered prayers to Allah. They're deluding the gospel uh, in their church. And, and so we have to be careful about the gospel diluted. The Roman Catholic Church is uh, not immune either. Uh, you may have seen just recently, just this past week, uh, Pope Francis was asked by a young boy uh, whose father was not a believer, uh, but had just recently died, uh, if his father was in heaven. 
And I'm going to show you a clip of what Pope Francis said, uh, and then we're going to talk about it. Uh, could somebody turn the light? Oh, thank you, Michael. Ho chiesto permesso a Emanuele di dire in pubblico la domanda e lui mi ha detto di sì, per questo la dirò. Poco tempo fa è, mancato, viene a, a, è venuto a mancare mio papà. E lui era ateo, ma ci ha fatto battesare a tutti e quattro figli. E era un uomo bravo. È in cielo, papà? Non era credente, ma ha fatto battesare i figli. Aveva il cuore buono. E lui ha il dubbio che il papà, per non essere credente, non potesse andare in cielo. Chi dice che va in cielo è Dio. Ma com'è il cuore di Dio davanti a un papà così? Com'è? Cosa vi sembra a voi? Un cuore di papà. Dio ha un cuore di papà. E davanti a un papà, che non credente, è stato capace di battesare i figli e di darle quella bravura ai figli. Voi pensate che Dio sarebbe capace di lasciarlo lontano da te? Pensate quello? Ma forte, con coraggio. Dio abbandona i suoi figli? Dio abbandona i suoi figli quando sono bravi? Ecco, Emanuele, questa è la risposta. Dio... Sicuramente era fiero di tuo papà, perché è più facile, essendo credente, battesare i figli che essendo non credente, battesarlo. E sicuramente a Dio questo è piaciuto tanto. Parla con tuo papà, prega tuo papà. I've heard it said in the Catholic Church where I grew up many times that you could get to heaven by being a good person. Uh, I had never heard it said that you can get to heaven without even be, uh, believing in God. Uh, and yet this is the state of the church in America today. Uh, the gospel uh, is being diluted. And, and I want to be clear that I don't mean to pick on Catholics or the Roman Catholic Church. I just said that the Presbyterian Church has a problem. Prosperity gospel churches have a problem. We have uh, problems in Protestantism too. The gospel is being uh, diluted. Uh, and this is just happens to be the most recent and of course very public, uh, I'm sure many of you have seen this video, uh, very public uh, example of the gospel being diluted. And you know, I understand uh, that Pope Francis was trying to console this little boy who was in great distress. Uh, and I admire his heart for doing that. But uh, you know, I, I, I'm sure that this was not the first time that the Pope had had to answer a question like this, and I wish he would have just stopped after he said, only God knows, or God decides who goes to heaven. Uh, or I wish he had an answer ready, like, only God knows the heart, or maybe this, uh, maybe your father had a change of heart at the last moment, or, or maybe he believed and was too ashamed to say it, or something like that. Uh, 
something uh, to placate the boy, to console the boy without saying things that are simply not true. And I love Pope Francis's heart. I mean, this man is a man of compassion and love, and he cares for the oppressed and the poor and the downtrodden of the world, and I greatly admire that. And the world seems to love him too. If you go find this video on YouTube, you'll see a whole bunch of comments underneath the video talking about what a compassionate man he is and what a loving pope he is. And there's absolutely no doubt about that. He is that. But you know, I think that the leader of a church of 1.2 billion people should not go around telling people that they can get into heaven by being good or not even by believing God. And even though this man baptized his children, that that would somehow be enough. So my concern is how many more people, by hearing a message like this, will follow that kind of teaching and believe it and be led astray. And and what about the boy, Emanuele? Uh, for a moment of consolation, uh, he could be led astray eternally, and, and there is nothing uh, earthly, no earthly consolation that's worth losing your soul over. And so uh, as, we, as we think about the gospel being diluted, um, we were just talking about it in Sunday school this morning. Uh, what are the things that we have to hold to, and what are the things we don't have to hold to? Well, the gospel is something we have to hold to. Jesus Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead. And anything less than that is a deluded gospel and it's going to lead people astray. So as we come to our passage today, what I want to show is that the apostles refused to dilute the gospel message even 1% and even in the face of death. Uh, To water it down is to make it no longer the gospel, but to make it a man-made feel-good message about how we get to heaven. Watering down frozen concentrate is one thing, but watering down the gospel, never. Uh, The apostles refused to do it, even though uh, they could have been killed for it. And so today, we're going to look at the true gospel that Peter preached, uh, and then we're going to look at the Sanhedrin's deliberations over the message that Peter preached, uh, and then we're going to talk about the punishment and the release of the apostles. So uh, let's get started in verses 27 through 33. When they had brought them, they stood before the council. The high priest questioned them, saying, We gave you strict orders not to continue teaching in this name. And yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you had put to death by hanging him on a cross. He is the one whom God exalted to his right hand as a prince and a savior to grant repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. But when they heard this, they were cut to the quick and intended to kill them. Now, Remember from our study last week that these apostles had been arrested and they were put in jail overnight to await trial uh, the next morning. But as they were sitting in jail, uh, an angel of God was sent to free these apostles from prison and he told them to go teach uh, in the temple. And so when, these, uh, uh, when the officers were sent to retrieve the apostles uh, the next morning, uh, they did not find them in the jail, but they actually found them teaching in uh, the temple. And the Sanhedrin was already filled with jealous rage, and now they are very perplexed about how they got out of jail and why they would be preaching in the temple. 
And so they direct the officers to bring these apostles back before them for their trial before the Sanhedrin. And as the high priest begins to question, you can, you can hear the anger in his voice. Uh, he, he's, he's very upset, like uh, when your mom used to bust you, uh, when you blatantly disobeyed her and she caught you, right? The high priest is that upset, uh, very upset, saying, uh, we gave you strict orders not to preach in this man's name. And they, here they are going about preaching uh, in his name. And, and so uh, as, as you listen to the question, you can understand that they're upset for at least three reasons. And the first one is that they blatantly disobeyed uh, the orders of the Sanhedrin. And, and the second thing is that they were filling Jerusalem with the teaching uh, that Jesus was resurrected from the dead. And the third thing was that they intended, uh, according to the Sanhedrin anyway, to bring Jesus' blood down upon their heads to make them guilty of the crime of killing Jesus. Well, they were absolutely right about the first thing. Uh, they did blatantly disobey the Sanhedrin, but they should not have been surprised by it because when they released him in chapter 4, they said to the Sanhedrin, we're going to go out and we're going to preach the name of Jesus. And so that's exactly what they did. And they also did go out and fill Jerusalem with their teaching. And by the power of the Holy Spirit and by the grace of God, uh, the masses of Jerusalem were being con converted to Christianity. And the third thing that they intended to bring uh, down Jesus' blood upon their head was partially true. Uh, they did intend to bring down the guilt of uh, Jesus' death on them, but not so that it would remain there, uh, so that... Rather, they would be convicted of their guilt and, and thus be saved. Uh, and so, unfortunately, uh, they would not hear the gospel. But, you know, to, to, to be saved, you need to recognize your guilt. You need to recognize your sin. You need to repent of it. And you need to turn to Jesus. And, and they were too proud to admit their guilt and hear the gospel and receive it. And so Peter said, we must obey God rather than men. He didn't offer any defense at all. He just goes and preaches the whole gospel message. And we can find the whole gospel message in Peter's answer. So uh, let me back up a slide and show you in verse 30 how he says he's talking about the death and the resurrection in verse 30, right? The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you had put to death by nailing him to a cross. So you have the death, you have the resurrection, then verse 31, you have the ascension and the exaltation to the right hand of God. He's, been, he's the one whom God exalted to his right hand. And so there he is. And now uh, Peter is going to get into the theological significance of what it all means. He's been made prince, and he's been made savior, and he's there to grant repentance to Israel and the forgiveness of sins. And so you can see the whole gospel presentation is there. You have the death the burial, the resurrection and exaltation of Jesus Christ and why it was done to grant repentance uh, to Israel. And Peter said that all who witnessed these events in verse 32, they're witnesses of these things. And as an added bonus, the Holy Spirit also is a witness of these things. And the Holy Spirit is given to those who will uh, believe in him. And so, uh, the whole gospel presentation is there. Peter gives this whole gospel presentation even in the face of death, and we'll see that uh, in the next verse. Uh, and why did he do it? He did do it to bring guilt upon their heads, but he did it so that they would turn, repent of their, uh, turn from their sin, repent of their sin, uh, and be saved. But instead, the Sanhedrin was cut to the quick and intended to kill them. 
Uh, cut to the quick is an interesting Greek word. It actually means to be sawn in two. Uh, so these people were really, really upset about the message that, the, that these apostles were preaching, and they intended to kill them uh, because of it. Well, Peter didn't water down the gospel one bit, did he? Uh, to water down the gospel means to lose souls. To say that you can get to heaven because you baptized your children or because you're a good person is not what the Bible teaches. Uh, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. If Peter told them anything other than the full truth, then he would be a liar and he would be preaching a false gospel. And Peter, you'll remember, denied Christ three times on the night of his crucifixion. And he wasn't going to go about and disappoint Jesus again, even if it meant that he was going to have to die for it. And so there are the apostles, uh, and they're standing before the Sanhedrin, and it's quite possible that they could have a death sentence about to be pronounced on them. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, help comes from an unlikely source, a Pharisee named Gamaliel. And so let's read verses 34 to 39. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, respected by all the people, stood up in the council and gave orders to put the men outside for a short time. And he said to them, Men of Israel, take care what you propose to do with these men. For some time ago, Thutis rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a group of about 400 men joined up with him. But he was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After this man, Judas of Galilee rose up in the days of the census and drew away some people after him. He too perished, and all those who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I say to you, Stay away from these men and let them alone, for if this plan or action is from men, uh, it will be overthrown. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them, or else you may even be found to be fighting against God. We know that the Sanhedrin was dominated by Sadducees, but they were also an, there was also another political party called the Pharisees, and there were some Pharisees on the Sanhedrin as well. And, you know, we tend to lump the Pharisees and the Sadducees together because they were both enemies of Jesus. But actually, they were quite different uh, theologically from each other, and they didn't like each other. Uh, the Pharisees believed in uh, the coming of Messiah. They believed in resurrection, and they believed in eternal life. Uh, the Sadducees didn't believe in any of these things. Uh, and so they were very different uh, theologically. And maybe that's why Gamaliel was not in favor of killing the apostles. Uh, this Gamaliel is the same Gamaliel referred to by uh, Paul in Acts chapter 22. He was Paul's teacher, a very respected teacher, a very respected man uh, in the upper society of Israel and on the Sanhedrin. And, and that's why he had the authority to send these apostles out for a while so he could have a moment with the Sanhedrin. And so he's there before the Sanhedrin, the apostles are outside, and now he says to them, take care uh, what you're going to do with these men, uh, because he, he wanted to set them free rather than to have them killed. As the Sadducees just said, they intended to kill these guys. And his reasoning came from two historical examples. Uh, the first man he mentions is this man named Thutis, uh, who scholars don't know anything about. Uh, there is a Thutis mentioned in Josephus, uh, the first century historian, uh, but this Thutis would have been way too late uh, to be the Thutis mentioned in this a particular passage. Uh, but he rose up and he was killed and his revolution dispersed. And after that, there was a man called 
uh, Judas uh, from Galilee, uh, which happened about the time of the census, which we know to be about 6 AD. Luke mentions that in his gospel uh, during the time when Quirinius was the governor uh, of Syria. And so this man was also killed and that revolution was ended. So Gamaliel's advice was, uh, don't kill these men. If this is a revolution of men, if this is a message of men, uh, it will quickly be dispersed. But if it's of God, it will succeed and you yourselves will be found to be enemies of God. And, and that's certainly not where they wanted to find themselves. Well, I am glad uh, that Gamaliel's advice uh, was heeded and, and carried the day because by it, God, God used Gamaliel's advice to free these uh, apostles. But I'm not so sure about the wisdom of Gamaliel's advice. Uh, I have, I have uh, thinking about this this week, I'm thinking, you know, I don't believe that Islam is from God, and yet it's been around for 1,500 years. And I don't believe Buddhism is from God, but it's been around for 2,500 years. And, uh, you know, the prosperity gospel is a relatively new phenomenon, but it's taking root, and people are believing this. And uh, universalism, which teaches that everybody goes to heaven and it stresses the love of God, but says nothing about the justice of God, is a gospel that people love because it tickles their ears. And it's not the gospel, but it's taken root. So, obviously, true Christianity uh, cannot be stopped. And the Sanhedrin could not have stopped the, the spread of the gospel, uh, even if they tried. Uh, but if you believe something is not from God, as Gamaliel obviously did, or he would have become a Christian, I think it's appropriate to take a stand against it. And that's why uh, today I'm standing up here and taking issue with what the Pope said and with what the Presbyterian Church USA did uh, and prosperity gospel preachers who do not preach the true gospel. Uh, you know, I don't like standing up here and, and uh, essentially calling out people who call on the name of Christ. But when they are preaching a gospel that is going to lead people astray, a gospel that could cost people their eternal salvation, well, I'm compelled to speak the truth. And I have to say that that's a false gospel and that we are going to preach the true gospel here. And we pray uh, that people will hear and, ad and ad adhere to the true gospel. Well, Gamaliel's advice carried the day. Uh, the compromise apparently reached was that they wouldn't kill these guys. They would just flog them. Uh, as punishment for disobeying them and as a warning that worse things could happen uh, if they continued to go on preaching uh, this gospel message. So let's look at the punishment and the release of these apostles in verses 40 to 42. They took his advice and after calling the apostles in, they flogged them and ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and then released them. So they went on their way from the presence of the council rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they kept right on teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. To be flogged meant to receive 39 lashes to your bare back and chest with a three-corded whip made of calf hide. Uh, many people died from just that. Um, that was a very serious punishment uh, and, and people did not survive it. Uh, it. It appears that all of the apostles did survive this flogging, but uh, you can be sure that they were battered and bruised and bleeding and severely injured as a result of this uh, flogging that they took. But the Sanhedrin's words of warning that they issued in chapter 4 uh, to not preach the gospel anymore had no more effect than this beating did. Uh, they went right on 
uh, preaching the gospel. No compromise. They went out preaching the word of God. They went out preaching publicly in the temple, and they were doing door-to-door evangelism, preaching from house to house. And they went out cons- uh, uh, praising God that they were considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. And that's an honor-shame culture that they live in. To be flogged like that was a disgrace on you and on, on your family, and yet they are proud because they have been considered worthy uh, to suffer shame uh, for his name. They were God-tested, and they were God-approved. And so they go out, and they continue preaching publicly, uh, doing the things that... that uh, Jesus commanded them to do in Acts chapter 1. He said, you will be my witnesses, and that's what they're doing. They are going to be his witnesses without compromise. And they were preaching the gospel, and the church was growing by leaps and bounds to such an extent that it was becoming difficult to administer uh, this church due to its size. And so we'll see how the church dealt with that problem as we come to Acts chapter 6. But for now, let's think about a few things that we can learn from this particular passage. And the first thing is that we cannot compromise the gospel message. The gospel is that we are sinners in need of a savior, that we need to repent of our sin and turn to Jesus Christ and be saved. We deserve to die for our sin, but instead Jesus took our sin upon himself and died in our place so that when we believe in him, we can have eternal life. If we want to evangelize and we're not willing to preach that gospel, then we should not evangelize. Sometimes we preach a watered-down gospel message because uh, we want to please people, and we want to be liked by people, and we don't want to offend anyone by telling them what the true gospel message is. But when we do that, we can give people a false sense of security that they're going to heaven by some measure that they've decided in their mind is the measure that you get to heaven. Uh, They can believe that they are going to heaven because they were unbelievers but baptized their children or because they were good by whatever standard or measure of good they are choosing to measure themselves by. Uh, And and if they believe things like this, they can falsely think that they are going to heaven. And a deluded gospel that doesn't confront people with their sin and their need to turn from it and turn to Jesus is not the gospel. Uh, and, and to leave people with that message, a watered-down, diluted gospel message, could leave them as bad off or even worse than where we found them. And so we can't dilute the gospel message. If you're going to preach the gospel, you preach the gospel. Jesus Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead. Nothing less than that. So we can't compromise the gospel message. Secondly, don't complain about injustice. The apostles didn't utter a word against the Sanhedrin for this unjust beating that they took. Jesus said in John 16, In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. The world will treat Christians unjustly. Uh, Recently you may have heard that in New York City, Mayor Bill de Blasio uh, asked New York City to boycott uh, Chick-fil-A, which is new to New York City, because of its Christian values. And uh, the New Yorker, the, the, the magazine, uh, they, they allowed an article to be printed about Chick-fil-A, and here's what the author of the article said. I think you're going to like this if you haven't read it. Uh, the growth of Chick-fil-A in New York feels like an infiltration, in no small part because of its pervasive Christian traditionalism. Its headquarters in Atlanta 
are adorned with Bible verses and a statue of Jesus washing his disciples' feet. Its stores close on Sundays. Worse yet, Chick-fil-A's CEO Dan Cathy affirms the moral teaching of Jesus, opposing same-sex marriage, even though the company has reaffirmed its intention to treat every person with honor, dignity, and respect. What's really funny is that Chick-fil-A is outselling all the other fast food chains in New York City right now. Uh, so Chick-fil-A is obviously from God because it cannot be stopped. Its message is going to go on and on in New York City, whether they like it or not. Brothers and sisters, it doesn't matter where we go. We are going to be persecuted. We are going to be vilified for what we believe. Uh, it's coming to the Bible Belt. I don't know if you noticed that, but it's coming to the Bible Belt too, and we're going to face this persecution. Uh, it's unjust, but we should expect it. And when we are persecuted for what we believe, for upholding our moral Christian values, uh, well, then we're persecuted for it, and, and we should count ourselves worthy, uh, proud that we have been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. And we should rejoice in that rather than complaining about whatever injustice uh, we have suffered. Uh, they treated Christ unjustly. They're going to treat us unjustly too. We can count on it. So don't complain about injustice. And finally, never let the civil authorities intimidate you about your faith. These apostles paid no more attention to the ban in Acts chapter 4 than they did to the beating in Acts chapter 5. They were not going to be dissuaded uh, from preaching the gospel message. And they were true to their principle that we must obey God rather than obeying men. And the same thing applies to us. When we have to choose between obeying God on the one hand or obeying men on the other hand, we choose obeying God every time. Uh, you may know that in uh, Northern Europe and in Canada, uh, there are new hate speech laws that are being enacted. And, and it's uh, now uh, illegal to say in places like this uh, to preach Christian values and to condemn worldly values. And just as an example, if you were to speak out against homosexuality, uh, as a Christian, uh, you could be charged with the crime of hate speech for that. Uh, and that's especially so in Canada. And you probably know that there have been rumblings in the United States that the same type of restrictions on free speech could be coming to us uh, someday, uh, and especially in the pulpit. Uh, that, that's something that they're talking about, taking away our 501c3 uh, privileges under the tax code if we are going to preach Christian values. And so... Uh, this is something that we could be facing in the United States before too long. Well, no matter what laws they make, we will go on preaching Christ crucified because that's what Jesus told us to do. And we're going to preach his values and the church is going to prevail and we will obey God and preach his word no matter what. No compromise. Amen? Amen. 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 Lord God. I thank you for your word. And I thank you, Lord, that you have given to it to us not just for us, Lord, but for the world, and so that we would take your word and we would go with your word and we would preach your word and we would not dilute your word or water down your word, Lord, that we would speak the truth and have the courage to do it, Lord, even in the face of persecution, even in the face of death. There is a world out there who needs to hear this message, Lord, and if it's not going to be preached by us, then it's not going to be preached, Lord. We have to Take a stand, we have to preach the word, and we have to give it in its pure form, Lord, the way you delivered it to us. And so give us the courage to do that, Lord. 
Uh, we pray that you would give the world the ears to hear, Lord, and that you would give us opportunity uh, to preach your message, to preach your word, and that people would be saved by it, Lord. We ask these things in Jesus' precious name, Lord. Amen.